Good morning. Well, if you've been watching or listening with us for the last two weeks, you will know that we have been in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And today we are going to carry on uh, in Luke. And I'd like to share two stories with you from Luke. And then I want to ask us some questions, which I really hope that we will go away and think and pray about very seriously And as I've been preparing this message, I have been deeply challenged and convicted. And uh, like I often say to people, when I share a message, I'm usually preaching to myself. uh, Because often, it's something that God is busy working on in me. So thank you for listening to me while I actually preach to myself. So our first story is in Luke 18. And it's a popular story. Many of us are familiar with it. But I really pray that even though it's a familiar story, that the Spirit will reveal something deeper to us from the story. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, you can turn to Luke 18. If you don't, you can press pause and you can grab your Bible quickly. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 18 and verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, that's Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these things I have kept Since I was a boy, he said, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. If you're taking notes, the story is also found in the Gospel of Matthew 19 and in Mark 10. And each Gospel account helps to paint a picture for us of this man and this encounter that he had with Jesus. All three of the Gospel accounts tell us that this man was rich. But in Luke's Gospel specifically, we find out that he was a ruler. Matthew tells us that this was a young man, and Mark tells us a few more details, which I like, because it says things like, the man ran to Jesus and fell on his knees before him, and also that Jesus looked at this man and that he loved him. And so even though this man, this this rich young ruler was extremely wealthy, and that he could fulfill most of his material needs, he felt a lack especially when it came to eternal life. So he went to Jesus, and I believe he went to Jesus sincerely, and he asked him what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And I'm sure that he was convinced that he would do whatever Jesus told him to do until Jesus told him to do what he needed to do. And we read that in verse 22. It says, Jesus tells him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Ouch. Jesus reveals that eternal life is about full surrender and obedience to him. And through this interaction with Jesus, we see that this man couldn't commit to being fully devoted to Jesus because he was fully devoted to something else. And in this context, it happened to be his wealth. He wasn't willing to give it up. And he goes away, Luke says, very sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus lets him go. Jesus was actually asking this man, what is at the center of your life? And will you let go of the things that are more important to you than me? And what do we call it when something is more important to us than what God is? It's called a false god or an idol. And Timothy Keller, the theologian and, and pastor, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he describes an idol like this. He, said an, he says, an idol is anything that is more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than what God does. He says an idol is anything that we look to, to give us what only God can give. Anything that is central and essential to your life that you believe if you were to lose that thing, that your life wouldn't be worth living. And the reformer and theologian John Calvin said that the human heart is a factory of idols. He says every one of us is, from his mother's womb, expert in inventing idols. Not exactly the kind of quote you'd want to put on a t-shirt. But as I've sat with these definitions and gone over and over, they... They hurt, and they are very challenging. The rich young ruler's love of and his commitment to his wealth prevented him from surrendering fully and wholeheartedly to Jesus and obeying him and following him. And this is sobering, friends, because we can seem to be a good person. Uh, we can be respected. We can be influential and we can look like we are sincerely serving God. And all the while, this idle factory in our hearts is running full steam ahead. So that's our first story about the rich young ruler. Let's go to our second story, which is also a very familiar story, uh, especially in children's ministry or in Sunday school. So most of us have, can remember hearing the story in Sunday school, or some of us have taught this message in Sunday school. I see Rita laughing at me in the background because she, um, I'm sure, has taught this story. Uh, some of your kids have come home and told you they heard the story and their songs that go along with the story. And I hope that uh, while I'm reading it, you won't be singing the song. Or well, you can. That's okay. You can sing the song. And uh, so we, we find, again, like the rich young ruler, this is a familiar story, but I pray that that we won't miss what God has to say to us. Because actually, it's, it's so deep. This account is so deep. And it's found in Luke 19, and it's the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. So let's read together from Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. 
A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Some translations say joyfully. Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus joyfully. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of all my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So we see that Zacchaeus was also wealthy and he was also a man in authority. He was a chief tax collector, which meant that he would have had other tax collectors reporting to him. And he may not have been as respected by the community as perhaps the, ring, the rich young ruler was. Uh, in fact, as a tax collector, he would have been despised. As a chief tax collector, even more so. And we can see people called him a sinner. But when we contrast these two stories, we see some very interesting things. The rich young ruler, even though he came running to Jesus and fell on his knees before him, as we read in Mark's account, he approached Jesus wanting to know what he, the rich young ruler, needed to do to inherit eternal life. So his focus was on himself and his efforts for eternal life. In the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. His curiosity and his focus was on Jesus. And although Jesus accepted the rich young ruler, as we read in Mark's gospel account, Jesus looked at him and loved him. The young ruler responded to Jesus' instruction to sell what he had and give it to the poor with sadness. So Jesus' love and acceptance couldn't find a place in his heart because it was already consumed by something else. Something else was at the center of the rich young ruler's life and he wasn't willing to give that up. If we look at Zacchaeus, when Jesus accepted Zacchaeus, he responded joyfully. Zacchaeus started out wanting to see Jesus and what he gets is that Jesus actually sees him. And Jesus also saw the rich young ruler. It wasn't like he didn't. He looked at him. But the rich young ruler couldn't really see Jesus and who he was. And that Jesus was worthy of being at the center of his life. And without being asked, Zacchaeus willingly moved his wealth aside. He moves it off to the side. 
And he willingly puts Jesus at the center of his life. And he says, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor and I'll pay back four times what I've taken, which was a lot more than what was expected in the Mosaic law. So let's get to the questions that I spoke about at the beginning. The important questions that I want us to think about from these two stories are firstly, where's my focus? Is it, is it about Jesus or is it about me? Do I really want to see Jesus? Do I really want to know him more? Or am I too consumed with me? Is Jesus center stage of my life? And center stage is the most prominent position that something or someone can hold. And if you imagine your life as a stage, where is Jesus? Who's at the center of your life? Who is the spotlight shining on? You know, the world will tell us, make your own way. You know, do it your own way. Decide your own truth and then live that truth because your life is yours and yours alone to live. But Jesus is saying, I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Follow me. And like the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus, Jesus sees us and he loves us. But are we willing to release those things that are important to us and obey him and follow him? Zacchaeus was despised and he was lost, but Jesus saw him and he saved him and he does the same for us. Jesus says in this text at the end that the purpose of the Son of Man is to seek and save the lost. Like the rich young ruler, will we respond with sadness when we have to release whatever has first place in our hearts? Or like Zacchaeus, will we respond joyfully and willingly release whatever we think is our treasure for the one and only true treasure, which is Jesus Christ? We have to ask, what is more important to me than Jesus? What is an idol in my life? And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm not wealthy like, like these two men were. So, so money isn't an idol in my life. Well, even though you might not have what you think is a lot of money, does it still consume your thoughts? Does it still consume your heart? Because if we are honest, for some of us, Money dominates our thoughts a lot more than what Jesus does. And we spend a lot of time thinking about it, how we need more of it and how we can get more of it and what we're going to do with the more of it that we get. And, and we're a little bit jealous of people who have more of it than what we do. And also, if we're honest, if we're really, really honest, we are looking to money to give those things or, or be those things for us that actually only Jesus can give and be. Security, worth, significance. So money may not be, it may be an idol. It may very well be an idol, even if we don't have a lot of it. So that's money. What about achievements? What about the things we do? How important is that to us? Instead of finding significance and fulfillment and worth in Jesus, am I looking for that significance in what I do? You know, if, if you add the letter L at the end of I do and you put it all together, it spells idol. 
You know, sometimes we're worshipping the idol of I do, and, and actually that idol is me. What about affirmation from others? Is that something that we desire more than the affirmation that comes from God? Is that an idol in our lives, perhaps? I was reading a, a, a post on Instagram recently by the, the singer Chris Daughtry. He's the lead singer of the band Daughtry. And, and like many of us, he said he went through a really difficult time uh, during COVID. And so he was used to going on tour and performing for crowds and being adored and worshipped. Uh, but because of COVID, he couldn't go. He couldn't do what he usually did. He had to stay home. And he had a complete identity crisis. His identity was tied not only to what he did as a, as a performer, especially as a performer, but also how he was affirmed by those who loved what he did. He didn't know who he was without that achievement and that affirmation. And I guess you could say that he worshipped being worshipped. And when it wasn't there, he felt as though his life didn't have much meaning. What about our, our partner, our romantic partner? Are they an idol? Are we looking to them to give us what only Jesus can give us? Are we looking to them to complete us and to fill all those empty spaces that we feel in our hearts that actually only Jesus can fill? And if you're not in a relationship, has the desire for a partner become an idol? Has that taken center stage of your life? Is the spotlight shining on that? What about our kids? Are they an idol? And this is a difficult one because we're supposed to love our kids. Our kids are supposed to be important to us. But are our children our reason for living? Are our children our deepest fulfillment in life? You know, is the love that I get from my children more important to me than God's love? Do we crave affirmation from others about our children? You know, when they tell us how well-behaved our children are or how talented they are or how clever they are, do we just crave that and feed off it? And then on the flip side, when our children don't perform the way that we want them to, in other words, the way that, that makes us look good, are we devastated at, at, at a core level? You know, things can get a little bit blurry because is it about them or is it more about us? You know, are they the idol or, you know, are we the idol? Um, and if you don't have children, but you desperately want children, has that desire taken center stage in your life? And, and this is really hard stuff. What is at the center of my life? What is at the center of your life? What is center stage? Is it what I do? Is it my achievements? Affirmation from others? My partner or my desire for a partner? My children or my desire for them? It's one of the most important questions we will ask in our lives. And so as I wrap up, I want to share a scripture and I want to share a warning and then hopefully we'll do some homework together. And the scripture that I want to share is from Colossians 1, verse 18. And it says, He is the head of his body, the church. He is the source of the body's life. He is the firstborn son 
who was raised from death, and this is the important part, in order that he alone might have the first place in all things, in order that he alone might have the first place in all things. Center stage was only ever made for Jesus. And so that's the scripture that I wanted to share with us. What is the warning? The warning comes from Timothy Keller, who says, Jesus must become more beautiful to your imagination, more attractive to your heart than your idol. And that is what will replace your counterfeit gods if you uproot the, the idol and fail to plant the love of Christ in its place, the idol will grow back. So that's the scripture, that's the warning, and then finally, what is the homework? I really pray that we will all take this and that we will sit with it in in the presence of our kind, merciful, gracious, loving Savior, and that he will, we will trust him. We will trust him who looks at us and loves us. And we will ask him to reveal the state of our hearts like only he can. And that when he does that, and when he shows us what it is that we need to surrender, I pray that we would be obedient so that we can love him with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and that we will follow him joyfully. Amen. Amen.